Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. You may be seated. How many of you know that we need the Lord's help to be resurrected every day, not just one time? Amen? Amen. My most common prayer is, um, is simply, Lord, help me. <laughs> I need you. I need you, I need you to tell me what I need to say, show me where I need to go, just simply put, Lord, I need you. You ever been there? If not, you will be, and I pray that you get there sooner than later, um, where you realize, where we realize, where followers and believers and uh, Christians realize that we can't do anything without the Lord's help all day, every day. The word says that he is the sustainer of life. He's the one that keeps us going. He's the one that holds us in his hand. He's the one that leads, guides, protects, heals, forgives. All that stuff that we need every day, it comes from him and not us. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's look here. We're going to talk about this morning about one of my most favorite Bible characters um, in all of Scripture, We're going to look at, um, in the book of Genesis, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the MJV, the Michael Jernigan version of Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. Instead of me reading 17 chapters, 13 chapters to you, I'm going to give you the MJV version of what it says real quickly. Sound good? Ready, set, go. Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham, of course, uh, God promised him to be a father of many nations. Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph was uh, one of the 12. Joseph was Jacob's most loved son. uh, Jacob loved him a lot. Like that was his baby boy. That was his guy. Joseph was loved by his son or by his dad, Jacob. Joseph had a thing with dreams. He would get dreams and he could interpret dreams. And he had a dream one time about his other brothers. And in the dream was simply this. He, it, was, it was told to jo- uh, Joseph through the dream that his 11 other brothers at one, t- one day would bow down to him and they would worship him. So Joseph, being the youngest brother, don't know how to keep his mouth closed. So he went and told the other brothers. He said, listen, I got some news for y'all. One day, you're going to be bowing down to me. How many youngest brothers do we have in the house? Anybody at all? One, one, two. How many youngest siblings do we have in the house? A couple of you. Susie's hand went up fast, Jane. Did you see it? Did you see it? Her hand went up fast and high. That's all I'm saying. She just wants everybody to know she's the youngest. That's what I, that's what I take from it. Is, now listen, I'm an only child, so I don't know. I got no brothers and sisters. Mom and dad had me, couldn't get no better, so they figured why I even mess with it anymore. So, so tell me, is it true, is it true 
that the youngest sibling is the worst? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just asking. I don't know. Is it true the youngest sibling's the best? No. No, just check. Okay, anyway, keep going here. Jacob, the youngest sibling, told his other brothers, said, one day you all will bow down and worship me. Well, the, young, the older brothers didn't like that too much. They didn't like that garbage that Joseph was saying. So they had a plan to kill it. When all else fails, just kill the youngest brother if you can't do anything else. So they started their plan in action. However, one of the brothers decided this is not the best plan of action. We should not kill our, our brother. Dad loves him a lot. We love dad. We shouldn't kill him. Plan B was if we're not going to kill him, let's throw him in a pit. So they found a pit. They threw him in the pit. And they decided that what they're going to do is they can tell dad that an animal come by ate Joseph, killed Joseph, and then the blood will be off our hands, we'll do nothing. Before they did that, a caravan was coming by with slaves. So what they decided to do, instead of leaving him in the pit, instead of killing the younger brother, they thought, we'll sell him into slavery, they'll take him off somewhere, they'll do whatever it is they do, we'll never have to see him again. So that's what they did. They sold Joseph into slavery, they went back to Jacob, told dad, dad, listen, bad news, an animal killed your son, he's dead. Jacob was upset because he loved Jake. He loved Joseph. The Bible says he tore his clothes. Oh, that was a thing they used to do back then when they get upset. You see it in the life of Job. They tear their clothes. I'm glad we don't do that in today, in 2023, when we get upset. I'm glad we don't rip, clothes, rip our shirts off like Hulk Hogan style and start flexing in front of everybody. Joseph was tore, Jacob was tore up. He lost his youngest son. He lost the, the son that he loved the most. Joseph, on the other hand, was sold into slavery, got taken to Egypt, got dropped off and bought from Potiphar. Potiphar was an official in Pharaoh's house. Uh, Joseph worked for Potiphar. The word says that Potiphar's house and Potiphar's life was blessed because of Joseph, because Joseph worked for him. Joseph did a good job working for Potiphar. However, Potiphar had a wife, and Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph. She thought he'd look nice. She wanted to take him out to eat. She wanted to do a little bit more than take him out to eat. Does everybody follow? Just checking. So Joseph was not into it. He's like, you're Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's the boss. That's not how I roll. I don't mess like that. Ah, ah, ah. Take your junk somewhere else. Potiphar's wife wouldn't stand in for that. People don't tell Potiphar's wife no. So Potiphar's wife set Joseph up and made it look like he was trying to sleep with her when really all he was trying to do was to get away and to flee from the situation. So after she set him up, she called the officials, she called the police. Police come and got him, took Joseph to jail. While Joseph was in prison, he met two people. One, he met a cupbearer that used to work for Pharaoh, and he met a baker that used to work for Pharaoh. While they were in prison, the cupbearer and the baker had dreams. Joseph's like, I'm kind of cool with dreams. I can tell you some stuff about dreams. What are your dreams? They told him, and they said, can you interpret? Joseph said, I got it. Here's what that means. Joseph told the cupbearer, in three days, you're going to get your job back with Pharaoh. You're going to be restored back to your position. Then he looked at the baker, in three days, you're going to die. Guess what happened three days later? The cupbearer got his job back with Pharaoh, and the baker died three days later. So as the cupbearer was leaving prison, Joseph told him, he said, please remember me when you get to Pharaoh. 
I have this picture in my mind of like this prison cell in a dungeon, like I see in some old movies or whatever. You know, you got like the rock steps going down into the dungeon, and I can see Joseph kind of sitting there in prison behind the bars, and I can see the cupbearer walking up the steps, and Joseph is down there at the bottom like, hey, remember me, right, as he goes up like you see in a movie. However, the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph for two years. For the next two years, Joseph sat in prison while the cupbearer had his job. Then one day, Pharaoh had a dream, and he called in some of his people, some of his magicians, some of his, his people to interpret his dream. However, nobody could, and then the cupbearer had a thought. He said, hey, two years ago, I met this guy in prison named Joseph. He was kind of cool with dreams. He told me about the dream that I would be back with you, and he also told the baker about his dream that he would die in three days. Sure enough, it happened. He told Pharaoh, you need to go talk to Joseph. So Pharaoh called Joseph up from prison. Pharaoh told Joseph, said, listen, I got a dream. I need your help. Joseph not only interpreted the dream, but he told him what the dream was before Pharaoh told him anything about it. And the dream simply was this. For the next seven years, our land is going to have, land of Egypt is going to have plenty of grain, going to have a lot of food for the next seven years. However, seven years after that, there's going to be the worst famine we've ever seen. So we need to get ready. So because of that, Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of the, all of the food in Egypt. Because of that, they were able to store up enough grain for the next seven years to last them the seven years of famine pharaoh put joseph in charge of all of egypt's food for the whole country now his brothers and his dad were still living in a different land in a far off land they were not so wise they did not know the famine were coming so they had no food during that seven year of bad period of no grain and no food so they came to egypt and egypt had plenty of food why did they have plenty of food because Joseph stored it up, because Joseph was ready. So when they came, Joseph was able to give not only his brothers food, but give his dad Jacob food that loved him and he loved so much. That, my friends, is Genesis chapters 37 through 50, all in about six minutes. Whew. Can we take a break? Anybody need a water break? So what's the point of all that story? Here's the point. There are times in our life where stuff happens to us, where bad things happen to us, where we find ourselves facing trials, troubles, struggles, and tribulations, and it's not our fault. You ever have times in your life where life seems to just kick you right in the face and you did absolutely nothing wrong? Look at everything that Joseph went through there that was not his fault. He got thrown into a pit. He got sold into slavery. Potiphar's wife set him up. He went to prison. He was forgotten about in prison for two years. All that bad stuff happened to him, and none of it was his fault. Can we all agree that sometimes life is not fair? Can we all agree that sometimes bad stuff happens to good people? One of the biggest questions you see non-believers ask a believer is if God was real, if God was true, if God was loving, if God was the God that you say he is, why does bad stuff happen to good people? Can I tell you this? Being a believer, being a follower, 
is not a get-out-of-jail-free card for struggles. Amen? It'd be nice if it was, though, right? Wouldn't it be better? Maybe. Maybe. However, life is tough. Lots of times we make life tough on us by going left when we should have went right, by going down when we should have went up, by making a decision that we shouldn't have made, by saying things we shouldn't have said, by doing things we shouldn't have done, by going places we shouldn't have gone. Lots of times we don't do ourselves any favor by the way we live our life and we get ourselves in a mess more times than not. Amen. There's never really as many amens on that when I, except until when I say, like, life's tough. And everybody's like, yeah. And then when I say we make it tough, everybody's like, yeah, yeah. I get it. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. There are times in our life where we will face trouble because of us. And there are times in our life where we will face trouble because life brings trouble. Jesus himself said, you will face trouble troubles you will face trials you will have struggles you will have valleys you will have times in your life that you were not prepared for that you were not expecting when it seems like life kicks you right in the face maybe it's a phone call from a doctor that you were not ready for maybe it's a phone call from an employer that you were not ready for maybe it's a phone call from a friend that you were not ready for but we there are times in our life where life itself has the ability to kind of take us out. So what I want to do this morning is to share with you, like any good Westland sermon, three things today that I want to share with you of what to do when life isn't fair, when life gets tough, when it seems like there's no hope, when it seems like there's no answer, when it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Where do you go? What do you do? And what, um, what, what's, on the, what's on, the, on the other side of the hill? What's on the other side of the valley for you this morning? So number one, when life's not fair, according to the word and according to experience, it's important that you are honest in prayer. You are honest in prayer. Uh, we see lots of times in, in the word and even in our everyday life that godly people, that believers struggle when the truth of God doesn't match up with our life experience. What do I mean? Here's what I mean. You ever have a time in your life where the truth of the word, where the truth of God, that God is good, that God is with you, that God has blessed you, that God will never leave you, and the goodness of God doesn't match up with your life experience? Life sucks right now. Life stinks. This is a tough, tough time for us. I lost my job. Got a call from the doctor. No cure. The truth and experience doesn't match up. You ever been there? Talk to me. You believe the word is true. You've heard it talked about for years how good God is, how God will take care of you. But right now, where you're at, ain't there. When your life experience doesn't match up with the God's truth. Look at the whole life of Job. Think about the whole life of Job. The word says that Job was the most righteous man alive at the time. And look what happened to that joker. 
lost his house, lost his income, lost his animals, food, and worst of all, lost his family. He knew God's goodness. The word says that he was the most righteous man alive. He knew God's goodness, but his life experience did not match up with what he knew about God. My guess is you've been there before. My guess is you may find yourself there today. You may find yourself in a season of life or in a time of life or in a struggle of life where what you believe about God isn't really evident in your life today. Can I encourage you, like Job, to be honest with God in prayer? What you read in Job uh, 39, chapters 39 through 29 through 31, what you see there is Job simply telling God that he is upset that he don't understand, that he don't like where he's at, that he don't see the purpose in it, that he don't know why he's facing what he's facing. And you know what God does? God doesn't run him off because he's honest. God doesn't turn his back because he's honest. But God continues to talk to Job. I had a time in my life about eight years ago where I found myself being extremely honest with God. Here's what the time looked like. My lovely and gorgeous and talented wife, my teacher of the year, I don't care what Davidson County says, I vote for you every year. Today's Father's Day, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Callie found out she was pregnant with TJ. We, uh, three months, we waited three months to tell anybody. Our families knew, but we didn't tell anybody. And finally, the day came, three months, and we thought, we're going to tell. So Sunday, we told everybody at Foster Street. We shared with everybody there. The next day, on Monday, um, we had a plan. The plan was this. I was going to a softball game at Southwest Randolph. I was going to pick up Callie. It was a Monday, so it's baby flounder night at Rick's, and we were going to Rick's for supper for baby flounder. Uh, while I was at the softball game, I was texting Callie. I said, hey. You want me to put on Facebook that you're pregnant? We can tell everybody and let everybody know. She said, yeah, do it. I said, I'm going to do it. She said, do it. I said, I'm going to do it. She said, you won't do it. I said, I'm going to do it. So I did it. Told everybody. I drove from Southwest Randolph back to Denton, pulled up in the driveway. The plan was for me to blow the horn and Callie to come out to the car and for us to go get baby flounder at Rick's. However, Callie never come out to the car. So I got out. I went in. As soon as I walked into our house, Callie was coming out of the bathroom, coming towards me, and I could tell she's been crying. Face was red. You, fellas, y'all know. Y'all know the look. You could tell. I said, Callie, what's wrong? She said, I think I may be having a miscarriage. I said, what? I said, I know what a miscarriage is, but how do you know? She said, Michael, we know. I said, okay, I'll take your word for it. So that night was not well at our house. The flow, the kind of change of emotions from we told everybody we're pregnant to we may have lost the baby was not the best night in our house. So we did not get to Rick's. We did not get baby flounder. 
we settled for a chicken sandwich from Bojangles, and we ate at home. We sat there at home that Monday night. Remember, we just sat. We didn't know what to say. We didn't know what to do. We just sat. The next morning, so Kelly called the doctors, got a doctor's appointment for the next morning. That morning she got up. She was planning on going to work for like an hour or something, and then we were going to the doctor's. She got to the school, and everybody there saw our announcement that she was pregnant. So everybody was running up to her, congratulations, we're happy for you. And in the back of her mind, she was thinking, Ugh. So she called me, she said, Michael, I'm coming home. I can't be here, I don't want to be here, I'm coming home. I said, come on. So she come home, laid back down. I got up and took a shower. And it was my time in the shower where I thought, Lord, we got to have a conversation. And it was in the shower that I found myself, much like Job in chapters 29 through 31. God, what is going on? I trust that you know what you're doing. I'm all for that. But what's going on? You gave us this amazing gift for three months. We just shared this amazing gift that you just gave us. We just shared it with our loved ones, with our family and friends. And now, now of all times, you're taking it away. It makes no sense. I don't like it. I'm not happy about it. And I'm hot. And it was through that honesty, it was through those emotions, it was through that conversation of prayer that I had standing in the shower where I felt like, and I never heard the audible voice of God, it'd be really cool, never have, but I felt so sure of the next thing that I thought in my mind that I ever, that more than anything I've ever had in my life. The next thought I had was this, God gave us this gift three months ago and we had it for three months, be thankful for three months. If we had it for six years, be thankful for six years. So far, we've had that gift for eight years. We are thankful for eight years. The amount of time that the gift is here does not change what the gift is and who the gift come from. Amen? I learned that. I saw that, I figured that out through prayer, through being honest with God in prayer. Can I encourage you today that if you find yourself in pain, in hurt, in struggle, honesty in prayer is where healing begins. Today being Father's Day, some of you may not have had the best relationship with your dad. Can I tell you that healing begins with honesty to the Lord. Today may be the first Father's Day you've celebrated without your dad. Can I tell you that healing begins with honesty in prayer? We have a saying in our world that time heals all wounds. Wrong. Right? Can I tell you what time does? It made my hair fall out. Made my knees sore. 
made my knees pop when I bend down. Time gives you some wrinkles. But time doesn't heal. Only the Lord heals. Because what you're facing is a heart issue, and the Lord is the only one that can heal a heart issue. Healing starts with you being honest with God in prayer. The second thing we can do when we're facing troubles and facing trials and facing a time where life isn't fair is to know and have belief that there's more going on than what we can see going on. There's more happening than what we can see that is happening. Go back to Joseph. Think about his life. Think about everything that he went through in his life, where he started with his brothers to where he ended up in Pharaoh's house and, and being, oh, being over Egypt and being over the food distribution in Egypt. Think about how all those bad things, think about how all those things that he did nothing to deserve all worked out for his good. His brothers led to the pit. The pit led to slavery. Slavery led to Potiphar's house. Potiphar's house led to prison. Prison led to a cupbearer. Cupbearer led to Pharaoh. Pharaoh led to food. The food led to him being able to feed his whole family. Can I tell you today that what you see going on in front of you is not all that's going on in front of you. God is able to work in your in your pain God is able to work in your struggle God can use your struggle God can use your hurt God can use your pain for your good amen yeah only God can take your hurt and turn it into hope only God can take your pain and turn it into praise. Only God can heal your innermost being. Only God can do for you what you need to have done most in your life because He is the only one that can do for you what you need done on the inside. We can work on the outside. We can change our outside life. But God works on the inside. And when we find ourselves in a time of life where life's not fair, where we've gotten a call from the doctor, or we've gotten a call from our employer, or we've gotten a call from a friend that we were not expecting, God is still working in your life today. Could it be possible that what you see, what you see as trouble and what you see as a problem, God sees as an answer? Maybe. Maybe you see being a single parent as a problem, but maybe God can use you to minister to other single parents. Maybe you see uh, losing your job as a problem, but maybe God sees it as opening a door somewhere else. Maybe you see the loss of a loved one as a problem, but God sees it as you being able to minister to people that are in the same situation. There are times in our life where we may look at and we may think, golly, this is as worse as it gets. It can't get no worse. This is as low as I've ever been. This is as bad as it's ever been. But that does not stop God working in your life. Even then, God can love you. 
God can minister through you, and God can use you to do his work in and around you, even in the midst of that pain and that struggle. Number three, third thing that we need to do, third thing that would help us out when we're facing a time when life's not fair, is to simply trust that God's in control. To simply trust that God's still in control. Um, Joseph here, he knew his great-grandpa, or he knew his great-grandpa. He knew what God had promised Abraham to be a father of many nations. He knew that Isaac was a part of that plan. He knew that his dad Jacob was a part of that plan. And he knew that he was a part of that plan. So no matter how bad it got from the pit to slavery to prison to Potiphar's house, Joseph knew God's got a plan. We are told in the word that God has a plan for your life, that God has a plan for you. Can I encourage you today that if you find yourself in a pit, to trust God. If you find yourself in slavery, trust God. If you find yourself in heartache, trust the Lord. If you find yourself in prison, trust the Lord. If you find yourself with no money, trust the Lord. If you find yourself alone, trust in the Lord. Because just because we're struggling, just because you're hurting, does not mean that he does not have a plan for you. The question is for us is, do we trust that even during those valley times, God still will work. God can still provide. God can still heal. Do we believe it? Or are we going to believe that he's not as good as he used to be? He's not as powerful as he used to be. Two years ago when things were going good, man, God is good. I believe it. I accept it. I'm with it. He's strong. He's powerful. He's provided. I'm in. But now when life's not fair, it's up to us. It's up to you. Whether you choose to believe and to trust in God's goodness on the mountaintop and in the valley. Isaiah says this. In Isaiah chapter 55 says this. This is God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and, the, and bread for the eater, Verse 11, so my word that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which it is sent. What's the point of that? The point of that is this. If God's got a plan, his plan will unfold. No matter what. No matter if you're on the mountaintop or in a valley, God's plan will happen. Jesus says in Matthew 11, to take my yoke upon me, yoke your life to me, connect your life to me, 
Why, Jesus says, because my burden is light. Can I tell you today that when we connect our lives to Jesus, when we connect our lives to the Lord, all of a sudden we can go through a valley. We can go through a struggle. We can go through pain. We can go through a time when life's not fair. And we can come out on the other end better and not bitter. We can come out knowing God more and not forgetting about God less. We can come out closer to the Lord and not further apart. Why? Because our lives have been connected, have been yoked to His. The question is, do you trust it? Do you believe it? One of the best verses in all of Genesis is in chapter 50, the very end of the story here with Joseph, when Joseph says this, talking to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph said, What you guys plan to do to hurt me, God used it for good. Can I encourage you today that whatever pain you have in your life today, God can use it for good. However, life's not fair for you today, God can use it for good. Whatever struggle you're facing, whatever trouble you're facing, God can use it for good. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? That's up to you. And that's up to me. We have to decide every day of our lives, every morning we wake up, whether we're going to trust today or whether we're going to kind of do our own deal, see how it works out. That's the choice that we make. That's the choice that you make every day, every decision, every second of every day. Do you trust it? I believe he's proven himself over and over and over. I have experience. You have experience with the Lord. So can I encourage you to trust him today? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this story, the life of Joseph. God, we look at all the struggles and troubles that he went through that was not his doing, that was not his fault. And God, we can receive encouragement because even through his pain, even through his heartache, even through a pit and slavery and prison, God, he remained faithful and trusting in you and in you alone. So God, I pray today for my friends and my family, my brothers and sisters, that today if we find ourselves in a pit, if we find ourselves in a valley, if we find ourselves in a trouble and a struggle or pain today, God, help us today to trust in you and in who you are, and in what you have done before, and help us to have faith that you can do it again. 
God, I pray today that you will help us to be honest with you. God, I pray today you'll help us see the big picture. And Lord, help us today to trust in you and in you alone. Lord, we love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.